Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. But we are definitely in a great series called The Re. And uh, we're going to re- talk about the return to God. God's original intention for us and who God is and what God is doing right now. So if you will, grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. The book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have your Bible, there's one right up on the screen. Um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And this is Jesus's account of his departure. Every gospel has a moment where Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission. How many of you are familiar with that? John gives his depiction of everything Jesus said and writes. Matthew, we talk about Matthew who he said to him, go to all nations, baptizing them. The book of Mark said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And then it says in Luke, where he sat with them for 40 days and 40 nights teaching and explaining the kingdom of God and gives them more promises. But John writes and he begins to explain a covenant. And I'm going to break this down with God's help. And today you are going to receive a deeper understanding on what this life of Christ is really meant to be. Are you ready? Let's do this. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. Now, I want you to catch that. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If there were not, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. Watch this. When everything is ready... I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. If we're not careful, we will read so fast through this, we miss a customary approach of Jesus speaking to his disciples. And what he is actually talking about is marriage. And I'll explain that to you. But he says that then... Where I am, you'll always be with me where I am. And then he says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am. And there's always one in the group. And Thomas said, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus simplifies it as he would and told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm so excited to share this with you today. And the kickoff of this semester, we are talking about the holiness of God. If I were to give another another sub-subtitle to this, I would have called it the wedding planner. But we are going to dive into this. I want you to get ready. I want you to be a student today, if you will. Allow God to be the teacher and allow me to teach through him, uh, him through me. And and I I really believe that you're going to walk away from here equipped And your mind will be open. And if you'll just receive it today, God is going to bless you. Someone say, in Jesus' name, Lord. 
Amen. One more time, give him some gratitude. He's so worthy of everything. God bless you. You can be seated. So what we look at in this moment, and Jesus used, remember he used the customs of the Hebrew people to relate to them. So when Jesus stepped in to this culture, he was very familiar with it. A lot of the things they did was because he gave them direction and he taught them through Moses. And so there were customs that were there and laws and there were instructions. So if we don't understand the Hebrew culture, we could really miss what Jesus is actually saying. And in this portion of scripture in John 14, it's very explanatory. What you need to know is that there was a sequence of events that took place when a man was to marry a woman. And for the sake of explaining this, I'm going to give you a diagram right now. And if you want to take a picture of this with your phone, you're more than welcome to or um, draw it out, whatever you want to do. But here's a sequence of events, and this is how it happens. Number one, from the father's house, the, the groom would leave his father's house with a, an amount of money. That amount of money was called a dowry. What that money represented was the payment on a bride, a covenant agreement with the father, son, to the father of the bride. Therefore, you see that one m money symbol right up there. That's what that represents. Now, I'm not trying to degrade the woman. She was in the car. He had to put a down payment on, right? Or, but this was the custom. It was a promise because he paid good money to not just have a bride, but to also have a virgin. And there was that covenant that she would remain solely his. And when he left from giving the money to her father, then he went back home. If you look at the next line down, he went back home to prepare a place for him and his bride. He went back and he began to build a house, build a piece of you know, property and a home, add on to the home, whatever that was for that family, whatever their tradition was. But nonetheless, we know he went back to prepare a place for her. Then when the timing was right, according to the Jewish custom, the best men, the friends to the groom, would then, when the time was at hand for them to get married, they would carry candles. They carried these candles and they walked down the streets of the city at night and they began to call out the groom's name, that he's coming. And this was a depiction of the entrance of the groom. You remember the parable as well where Jesus said that there were some that came out with their lamps and they, some had a lot of oil, some didn't at the coming of his arrival. Mm. So now the best men would come in to prepare the way for the groom and the groom and the bride would now 
Mary. Not just in body and soul, but in spirit. And they would form a union. Then they would go back and live together in a place forever. It was a covenant. Then they had children, of course. And I purposely put it on the bride's countryside at the in-law's house. (laughs) But they would have children. That was how it happened in the Hebrew culture. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to speed this up, but I want you to take note. Throw the next slide over. What Jesus was telling his disciples was, and they knew this from the beginning, that the origin of Jesus as king was first in heaven. And Jesus came to have a bride, but the price that was paid was the cross and the blood. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't look like a king, but he was very kingly. He was very royal. He was rich in things, owned everything, yet without nothing. He had access to the riches of God in heaven that was healing, that were miracles, signs, wonders, deliverances. Uh, Even for finances and favor, he had it all. He showed proof of his kingship, but the one thing he didn't have was a bride or a queen. If you look a little bit deeper, I'm going to go past this in a moment, but I want you to recognize the parallel with the custom and how Jesus used his language. He was speaking in reference to their custom. And so now Jesus came into the earth. He paid the price. Then the scripture says he went to build. Now you can almost take this out of context. When you try to follow traditional religious teachings on dispensation. Some of you understand what I just said. Some of you don't. I don't know. He said something about a dispenser, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Dispensation of truth, how theologically everything lines up concerning the future. But, But in this portion of scripture, he was not talking about a future place. He was talking about a future stance and a future experience. The place he was speaking of was in his father's house. Or if you look up closer within the scripture and look at house, it literally means family. So as Jesus was crucified, he was buried. And when he was buried, the body, but when the spirit left, the first thing we know was is that Jesus went down to hell to get rid of some things and fix some things and do a demolition on some things to prepare a place for us so his bride would never have to go there. And then he returned to earth and taught and explained everything to them. But in that time between building and establishing a way and preparing these things, he promised one thing. The Holy Spirit was the promise of the Father before he ascended back up into his kingdom. The only way Jesus could prepare us for that place, he had to eliminate the other one we were destined to. He had to eliminate an old covenant, an old destination to make sure that his bride would be protected and never have to go there because he went to prepare a place for her by getting rid of the former destination. 
Jesus, someone say it after me, Jesus made a way. He told the disciples, you don't know where I'm going. And Thomas, yeah, you're right, Lord. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, connecting in his mind the destination for where his bride would go. He was talking as a groom. And when you see this, on the day of Pentecost, we were joined in spirit to him. And in that moment, and of course, how many of you know what happens when the church was born? How many, how many of you know that baptism, what happened at your baptism, you took on the name of Christ? Okay, let me ask you this. Nobody respond. When you were married, how many of you women, ladies, took on the name of your husband? I'll tell you, I remember the day my wife took on the name Rivera. Rivera? Riviera? I was so proud. I'd say it, Don Allison Rivera. I was so proud of She's a Rivera. Wow. That's the feeling we should have when we're baptized and take on the name of Christ in baptism. Her name really is Don Allison Rivera Jesus. Naming part of the family of God, taking on the name of Christ. But after taking on the name, there's a union. And in that union, God established something called the promise of the Father. And that's what really a covenant is, is a promise. Something to solidify that. And he would seal us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit descended. That was the union. That was the coming together. And now we are seated with him in heavenly places, in the place that the Lord has prepared for us. So now the king has a queen. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. How many of you have ever seen a king in his kingdom in a movie or in an article with the king having his throne and his queen right beside him? Anybody? Well, that's why the scripture says that we are seated with him. Seated with him in joint union. Having the same authority because the throne flows from the top to the bottom. And the next in line for the privileges that are in the king's life would be the person closest to him, which would be the queen. Or the bride. And just like any marriage, eventually they have children. That's the rest of this semester. We're going to be talking about how the children are born as sons and daughters to a God who whole purpose in life was to have a bride. The most important thing in our lives is to have the right person come into your life to do life forever with. And, and sometimes it's rough. Sometimes you have problems. Sometimes you go through shaking. Sometimes you, you, really, you really have a hard time connecting. And sometimes it's just a matter of knowledge and understanding. You see, God himself could not connect to anybody that did not have his same identity or a type of similarity. Opposites do attract. Am I right? Opposites do attract. But where you connect is in your similarities. Like 
My wife is totally opposite of me. But I love her for her differences. But we have similarities where we connect. Well, what makes us so, I, I think, what makes God so appealing at times is the fact that he has so much wisdom, has all power, has all authority. He can do things that I can't do. I'm attracted to him because of his love towards me. I'm attracted to God in spirit as a spirit being because he has the river of living waters in my life. He gives me the tree of life to eat from. He gives me fresh fruit in my seasons of life. He, he is a refreshing, he is a comforter, he is a restorer, and he is everything. But I just explained to you the sequences of events, how it took place. And Jesus was trying to tell the disciples, from the beginning of time, I wanted a bride. But the old covenant didn't work. But I'm going to establish a new one. And I'm going to follow the custom because... Adam and Eve had it right. Adam and Eve had it right, but they messed up and sin came in. So when God said, I'm going to marry my bride under a new covenant because the old covenant didn't work. Well, I'm fixing to shock some of you, but I want you to pay attention to me just for one moment. The old covenant didn't work. God did away with it. He had to establish a new one. What does that tell you? It's not that God messed up the first time. His people dropped the ball and couldn't connect in the one similarity that God needed to connect in. They were op we were opposites with God. But the one remaining factor that separated him from everything else was his holiness. Because number one, holiness is his identity. It is. Holiness is his identity. I failed to mention this, but I want to mention it now. We'll get back into this. But, but you remember I told you it was tradition for the men of the bridegroom, the best men, to come in with the candles and prepare the way for the groom? Listen to what John 3, 26 and 30 says. Listen to this. John's disciples, the, John the Baptist, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of Jordan, he said, the one you identified as the Messiah, he is also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him. In other words, they're saying, boy, there's competition out here, God, and Lord. And he said to them, and John, he's coming to, they're going to him instead of coming to us. And John said, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know plainly, I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am here, only here, to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him here in his vows, hear his vows. Therefore, I am fulfilled with joy at his success. He must become greater. I must become less and less. What he was saying was, I'm the best man. Oh, oh. When, when God, over 15, over 20 years ago, wow, 
Over 20 years ago, God started speaking to me about the calling he was placing in my life. And this is the scripture God gave me, but I never understood it. And God told me one day, have you ever heard from God yourself and you just very clear and you knew in your gut and it hit you because you knew his voice? Has God ever spoken to you in that way through prayer? Anybody? 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 Am I in the right church? God said, one day I'm going to make you a friend to the bridegroom. What that means is, is that every minister that introduces and that prepares the way for Jesus to come into someone's life and that someone is the bride is the best man. John the Baptist was the best man. He came preaching repentance. Repentance would bring a turn of heart to God and away from people, establishing the blood and the mercy of God in their life to prepare the way for a holy bride. Because sin is the one thing that made our garments not white as snow. Every bride wears white because it represents purity. It represents purity. Let me give you a scripture. I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to give this to you right now. Could you uh, just go ahead and write these down? I'm going to give you 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. Just write it down, and you can go home and look it up later. 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. Paul writes and says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband. You hear that? I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. Wow. Wow. There's a German culture also says that the best man was the guy that the, bride, the groom would pick to watch and make sure that the bride wasn't messing around. John and every minister of the gospel is the man that God chooses to present his bride to him. Paul was saying, I'm a best man. I'm the best man. I'm the friend of the bridegroom, and I'm determined to present a pure bride to Christ. That means that he had to fight off every person with ill intent. He had to fight off every temptation in prayer. He had to, as a good shepherd, try to protect the church in prayer so that one day we could be presented to God as a bride. This is all about marriage. But see, this marriage evolves and God establishes a family. But this is the very foundation of understanding the importance of who we are, what we believe. Ephesians, write this down. I have another scripture. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her what? Holy, if you know the scripture, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, without wrinkle, with other blemish, but holy and blameless. Somebody say pure. What's amazing about this is, is that, you know, under a new covenant, God knew that he couldn't marry somebody that didn't have his first attribute. Again, point number one, God's holiness is his identity. He could only find somebody that not just had his human reasoning and wisdom that he gave and imparted by spiritual breath. 
Remember when God made Adam? He breathed in him. He became a living soul, but he had to have the nature. And in the very beginning, Adam and Eve had the nature of God without sin. But when they sinned, they, they messed it up. They failed. They defiled themselves. So God had to bring in a system. But that wasn't going to satisfy God because God was courting us from a distance. God was courting us from a distance. He couldn't get together. God wanted a wife, not a long-distance girlfriend that he could only write. Can you imagine having a long-distance relationship knowing that you'll never be able to see them in person? That had to stop. So this is when Jesus himself came in the flesh. God in the flesh, the Son of God, came into this world, gave his life for you and I so he can present himself a bride. And when we are here teaching about the things of the Scripture and the doctrine of God and the principles of God, all we are doing, we're trying to be the best man and say, here, Lord, we did our part. We've done your part. We're trying to present to you the bride you married and the bride you wanted, and here we are. You see, God looks at us. I believe that when God looks at us, he sees white. And I know that we're covered by the blood, but could it be that the blood is what makes us white and when God looks at us, he sees this? God wanted a bride who was wearing white. If you're getting married and your bride comes down the aisle with camouflage head for the heels. <laughs> I've seen it before. Camouflage wedding. Or black. Equal black. Not a good sign. God wanted his bride to represent purity. This is my daughter's uh, wedding dress. And if I get it dirty, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> my wife will kill me. Well, maybe my youngest daughter will kill me. My wife, maybe Brooklyn, I don't know. <laughs> but white has this ability to show the smallest spots and stains. That's why when you're living for God and you're filled with the power of his spirit, everyone say the Holy Ghost. Say the Holy Spirit. It helps you identify every imperfection in your life very easy. But how many of you know that when you wear black, that if you do get a spot, it's harder to identify with? It's, it's easily covered. And most people who have not had Jesus forgive them, and those who have not received the saving grace of God and, the, and it be an experienced uh, believer in the fact that they, they know what salvation it feels like. It's very hard for them without the Spirit of God to know the difference between right and wrong. This is why God sent his spirit into the world. It's the old covenant that failed. The old covenant failed. The new covenant succeeded. I'm going to say it again very slowly. Don't get mad. Don't misunderstand me, but I want you to hear me. The first covenant failed. God had a failed marriage. But the mercy of God is 
is that he remarried her again under a new covenant. Where is that in the Bible, Pastor Bobby? Gomer, Hosea. God told Hosea, go get you a bride. Go get a harlot for a bride. And he did, and he married her. But she went off and she cheated. He said, go get her again. And she ran off again. He said, go get her again. And she ran off again. And he kept on doing She kept on doing this. It was in her nature. She couldn't help it. And then finally, Hosea says to God, why? And God said, now you know how I feel. That's what God was saying. Under the law, God's people couldn't keep their covenant. He couldn't, they couldn't keep the commitment. But this time God says, now, instead of writing it on tablets, I'm going to write my laws in their heart, and I'm going to cause them to walk after me, to follow me, and to live for me, and to be forgiven. Listen, the blood of Jesus grants mercy, and his mercy endures forever. But the Spirit of God is the unmerited favor of God to cause us to walk in his righteousness and walk on righteous paths that keeps us pure and free from sin. It is very possible to not be addicted to old things once the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God comes into your life. You don't have to live with the same addiction. You don't have to be caught with the same vices. You don't have to live the old lifestyle and watch it cycle and cycle and cycle. I'm telling you that the power of God is real. The Spirit of God is our helper. And as he's the comforter, because God gives his bride the best. God gives his bride the best. I want to show you concerning the identity of God. God can only marry someone in his likeness. Although we differ in nature, yet God said, I'm going to put my nature inside of them through the Holy Spirit. And here's what Hebrews writes about this. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. He said, work at living in peace. Everyone say work. work. Then he said, and work at living a holy life. Well, I thought we were saved by grace. We are saved by grace. It's the power of God that enables us to do the right things and stay away from sin. But faith without works is dead. And to live for God, you can't just sit there. Are you ready? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, put your seatbelts on. Pastor Bobby's fixing to take us on a bumpy. He's fixing to hit a pothole. Okay. Thank you for coming to church today. First of all, let me get that out of the way. Thank you. So glad you're here. Thank God you showed up. I've had no one to talk to but myself and Jesus, which is okay, my family. But coming to church does not make you a Christian. It helps you. It'll keep you a Christian. It'll help you spiritually grow. But if you don't allow the Spirit of God to work to stop the things in your life that are hindering you from the blessings of God, it does no good. To know the Word of God is one thing. 
But to know the author of the word of God and experience him is a whole other thing. So we are here to experience God, to have a touch from God. And the only one who can make us holy is him. So how do we work on having a holy life? Here's what we do. We stay and understand the mercies of God and that if it wasn't for his blood, none of us would ever be here. And then we obey the leading of the spirit as we engage with him and we're just walking in obedience. Again, they say opposites attract, but the similarities is where we connect. Sin causes us in our humanity to lose out and not connect with God, but in our nature that God has given us through the breath of life, through the restoration, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, we are now able to connect with the God who is holy. Before, it was just one man able to enter into the tabernacle. Isn't that sad? That's like, let me explain it to you like this. Under the law, it was like you having a good friend and you handing him, like you did in elementary school, a note to hand to your girlfriend. <laughs> the high priest who would go into the holy place representing your family and talk to God for you. Never experiencing God, but you know he experienced God, and that isn't fair. But here's what happened. Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to step down in the earth, go up into heaven and become the high priest for everybody. And I'm going to allow them to come into my presence and interact with me. So it's no longer a long distance relationship. We are now married. We are close together of one spirit, of one mind. And we have this privilege of a new covenant in our life and the nature of God and his identity matters. I want to show you another scripture, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is what Isaiah is saying. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. The seraphim is an angel. Each of them had six wings. He said, with two of them of the wings, they covered their faces. With the other two, they covered their feet. And the other two, they did fly. And they were calling out to each other. What does it say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of heaven's armies. Well, God is love. He is love. But it didn't say they were saying love, love, love. It didn't say that. Peace, peace, peace. It didn't say that. It said holy, holy, holy emphasizing on the nature of God because without the holiness that's what makes God God without his holiness there would need no, be no pure love without the holiness of God and the purity of God 
even in our own lives, we can't really love the way we ought to or the way we should. Love is more than just physiological expressions and chemistry. Love is spiritual. That's why the devil can't love. He's dark, unclean. That's why he can only use lust. But God is a God of light. And true love makes you love him back. You see, here's where you get love in your life through, number one, through repenting and making sure that your heart is right with God every day. I don't think you should walk in, in fear and, and, and nervousness and anxiety going, oh, my God, did I sin? Oh, my God, have I done that? When you've only done something, you'll know, and all you got to say is, Lord, forgive me. I won't do that again. But if you say forgive me and keep doing that, your forgive me means nothing. It just doesn't because your intent to do it again is just going to be there. That is a painless cycle of addiction. But you see, it's an old nature. But under a new covenant, God said, I don't want my bride to live that way. She's going to be pleasing to me. She's going to be holy. She's going to be pure. And the only way she's going to be able to carry these things out and to live pure and to live holy if I give her the power to do it. And if she has the blood covered to be sanctified, I really do believe that the blood covers us, but I believe it's what makes us beautiful in the eyes of God is what the blood does. In the eyes of God, those angels... They cried out, holy, holy, holy. But listen to the rest of the scripture. The whole earth was filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. The entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I, I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man. Notice this. When he entered into the presence of God, he recognized his sinful nature. That's what the presence of God does. That's what the presence of God does. But watch this. So important. So important. He said, in his mind, I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have, I have filthy lips. I live among people who are with filthy lips. Just saying, Holy Ghost will stop you from cussing, but that's another sermon. If you're quiet, don't get quiet. Say amen, because they're going to think you're one of them. Yet I have seen the king and the Lord heaven, of heaven's army. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with the burning coal, and he had taken it from the altar and from the pair of tongues, and he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as my messenger to the people? Who will go for us? Then the prophet who said, I'm so sinful, I shouldn't be here, speaks up after his encounter with God and says, send me, Lord. I'll go. I know what you can do now. I don't have guilt. I don't have condemnation. I don't feel unworthy. Send me, God. An encounter with God's presence will alter your nature of feeling condemned and guilty where God enables you to be vulnerable and make yourself available. It makes you willing. But how many of you know when God shows up, everything changes? I mean, God coming in 
Because that's the end game. That's the end result to this. It's experiencing God. And when God steps in, they're just a holy reverence. That's why I, I have to be a part of a spirit-filled church. I have to be a part of a spirit-filled church that's hungry and desiring God. I'm going to drop something here for a moment to the 8, to the 11, 15 service. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. I'm going to just recommend this. Don't get mad at me. But if you're coming to the 11:15 service because it's a little later, try not to get too full on food before you come and get spiritually fed because it desensitizes your spirit and you're not as spiritually hungry. Get a little snack. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just suggesting if you want the best out of this service, save it for afterwards. You'll be all right. You won't die. But this goes for any service. If you want something from God, maintain, just eat for strength because the spirit man will be available to be fed. But when you physically feed yourself, you don't feel spiritually hunger. You don't feel spiritual hunger. You feel like sleeping. You know what I'm talking about? Just a little suggestion. Somebody say, thank you, Pastor Bobby. I really needed to hear that. When God shows up, say it with me, when God shows up, everything changes. How do you respond to a holy God? Here's how you respond. Acts chapter 7, verse 30 and 33. You ready? Man, this is good stuff today. Thank you, Jesus. The apostles speaking and saying, 40 years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in a, flaming, uh, in a flame of a burning bush. And Moses saw it, and he was amazed at the sight, and he went to take a closer look, and the voice of the Lord called to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, listen to this, the Lord said to him, take off your chanclas. <laughs> Making sure you're listening. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. You know what's funny about that portion of Scripture? Not funny, but interesting. That, that ground wasn't holy before God came there. But God shows up, and now everything changes. Everything changes. Customarily, according to the Jews... It was customary that when you walked into the presence of someone's home that you would take off your shoes to respect their authority and expect their dwelling place. I believe what God was telling Moses, I'm eternal, but where I concentrate and choose to represent my kingdom and show up on this earth, now you're stepping into my domain. And when I show up, Whatever doesn't respect that holiness and that purity can't live because it's a condition of the heart. It's a condition, but an outward expression of following God's commandments means everything. See, Israel did not know. They didn't know how to handle the presence of God that was even in a box in the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't know how to handle it. When, they, when, when David retrieved it back from the Philistines, they brought it on an ox cart, and when it shook a little bit, 
It was Uzzah that reached out, tried to save it, and what happened? Dead. Why? Because God had established a practice and a principle and a way to carry his presence. In that tabernacle were holes for rods to go through. And those rods would be on the shoulders with the ark on top of the shoulders of the priest. And they would carry his presence, if it were, in the ark on their shoulders. And they would carry it correctly. And once David found out that's how you treat the presence of God, then they began to be blessed in the kingdom again, and then no enemy could defeat them ever again. It's all about knowing how to carry the presence of God. It's so, so important to understand that we don't take the Holy Spirit for granted. We have to understand that these are things that need to be reverenced, things that need to be feared. That means a holy reverence. What we are dealing with right now in America is no fear of God. No fear of God. Because of what Calvary did, the anger of God was taken out on the Lamb of God. But now in the new covenant, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. But when people start to carry his presence, they learn how to carry it. They put it on their shoulders. But listen to what Jesus said in Isaiah 9 and 6. This just came to me. Isaiah 9 and 6 talks about whom he would be. He said he would be father, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And to his government, there will be no end. And that he would carry the government upon his shoulders. In other words, the very presence of what's going to rule his kingdom, he would properly know how to handle the holiness of God's presence correctly as a priest. Which means he became the high priest you and I became the priest, and we need to have a reverence to how we carry the presence of God in our life. God is a holy God. Someone say, God, you're holy. It's who he is. It's who I, his identity. He doesn't have to try to be holy. He is holy. That's why God had to put the, chair, the, the, the sword, the flaming sword, and the angel in the garden for the tree of life. Because it wasn't that, it wasn't that, you know, Adam and Eve, their sins separated from, separated them from the from the presence of God. But it's not that God didn't want them there. He was trying to protect them lest they touch it and die. Or they were eternally damned under an old nature. The nature of God and his holiness is what this boils down to. In the very beginning, you and I have to understand, if we want to understand the rest of this semester, in this first lesson today is God is a holy God. And God had to take measures in order to protect us. And God had to go through and do things his own way. That's why I read you, I read you the custom of marriage according to the Hebrew culture is that he had to first send his son. The f he left his father's house. He came to 
Listen to this. The bride's original father. It's going to blow your mind. You ready? The scripture says we all used to be children of disobedience to the prince of the power of the air. You know what Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees? He said, you're of your father who? The devil. That's what he said. Why? Because they lied. They were, in, they, they were insincere. They, they, they had hidden motives. They were being influenced by demonic spirits. And he said, you're of your father the devil. Well, you want to tell, can I tell you something? Before you got saved, did you know what was influencing you all the time and you were obedient to that influence? It was a spirit. It was a devil in most cases. In your own flesh, most of the time, just your flesh. But Jesus came, and the only price that could ever be paid was the blood to take you and I as his spouse because that was a price the devil could not resist. The devil couldn't do anything once the blood was applied because it was eternally more valuable. One drop, one drop is all it would take for all of eternity to be saved, all of, all of hell, all of earth, for everybody to be eternally saved in this world. It just took one drop of blood for the price that was paid for all of us, and hell couldn't do anything about it. You and I, the first time around, it was God's people that messed up. I'm going to give you point number two because I have to close. Point number two. Repeat this after me. Holiness is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. Holiness is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. You would never marry anybody you weren't attracted to. Am I right? I hope I'm right. When I met my wife, I looked at her. I didn't have glasses, but I looked at her. I, you know, back then it was kind of, I was a little Latino, so it's kind of. I knew she was the one, but when I talked to her, I even, I knew, knew she was the one. When I danced with her, I knew, knew, knew she was the one. But I was attracted to her more than on the outside, but the inside. When God looks at us, he sees the inside. Because the outside didn't work the first time. Remember when Jacob wanted to marry Rachel? How many of you remember the story? He went to Laban. I'm, I'm here because I want your daughter. And you know what Laban did? That rascal. You know what he did? For seven years, Jacob labored for Rachel. And on the night of his promise, he veiled his daughter, gave his daughter to Jacob. And in the tent, the veil comes off. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he couldn't see through the veil. They were like this the entire time. It was Leah. And Jacob was like, <laughs> that his friends. Right? Man, I'm excited to get married today. Today's my day. You ever been like a little kid, you get so excited. Then when they get into the tent, hey, wait a minute, Laban, this is not Rachel. Right? Can you imagine how he felt? 
But guess what he did? Seven more years. And it's, he, the scripture says that Leah was, what is he thought? She was ugly. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to say it, right? She just didn't have it. Some people have it. Some people don't. You just have to accept it. That's why during this COVID thing, you, if you're, never mind, never mind. Had your chance. But anyways, you missed it. She wasn't pretty to look on. But the second time around, Rachel, Scripture says she was beautiful. I believe that was a type of covenants. The first time around when God had Israel, it wasn't beautiful to him in his sight. Because what God connects with is his nature of holiness. Holy, holy, holy. But the second time around, God said, I, I'm going I'm to make sure this bride is whiter than snow. I'm going to marry her again under a new covenant. And I want to look at her. She's going to be beautiful. She's going to be it's going to be everything I ever wanted. Listen to this. I'm going to give you some scriptures. I'm going to go through them very quickly, but I want you to write these down. These are just examples of God, how he feels about holiness. He allowed the writers to inscribe and to describe his, his presence. First Chronicles 16 and 29. He said, give unto the Lord your glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. And worship the Lord in the beauty of what? Holiness. Second Chronicles 20, 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto them. And should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the armies and say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This was a battle cry. And in that battle cry, they were instructed to sing of the holiness and the beauty of holiness. What does that have to do with battle? Well, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you fight for your beautiful wife? Wouldn't you fight for the beauty of what you're attracted to? The temporary position of the church under the blood the sacrifice was there but the presence of God that gave him and them permission to go out but it was because God validated Israel through his own nature and said it's going to have to be through the blood I'm going to have to give you something temporary it's not going to work but it's going to be well worth it because the second time around you're going to understand why I did everything I had to do to get you to this place and to this place right now, the Spirit says that we are holy unto God, a peculiar people, a holy nation. Whether you feel it or whether you look like it, you're holy in the presence of God because of his blood. Because of his blood. Psalms 29 and 2, give unto the Lord his glory, do unto his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalms 96 and 9, oh, worship the Lord in the what? beauty of holiness and fear before him all the earth there is a connection between the fear of the lord and the holiness of god what the fear of the lord is it's a reverence towards the thing of, of god and is literally honoring him 
through a lifestyle. Holiness is beautiful. Holiness is overlooked in the church. Holiness is not religious. Holiness is a condition of the heart. Holiness is established through a relationship with God. And when we choose to reframe from sin, we are kept clean and our garments are presented as white. God came for a bride. Come on, Haley. God came. I conclude with this. God came to get a virgin bride. See, Israel didn't. Israel, they messed up. But the second time around, God says, I'm going to bring Israel and a nation that didn't know me and make one new person, one new bride. And the way God does this is through the blood. And if we don't understand the holiness of God and who he is, then you'll never comprehend. Or you can, I hate to say never, but it's very hard to understand. It's very hard to understand the Holy Ghost and what living right means. God knew we couldn't do it in our own strength, or our own free will, and our own uh, character and ability. We don't have it. We never had it. But he knows that through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, we can do the right thing. We can live the right way. And that's why we emphasize so much of this church that the promise of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit baptism is for everybody. It's a promise. And if you ever grab a hold of this, and if you ever grab a hold of this, this lesson and understand the holiness of God, there is nothing holy about us. But when the blood is there, it's applied. We're forgiven. But how do you stay clean? How do you stay pure? By letting the grace of God or the Holy Ghost, the power of God, to help you make the right decisions, to make sure that your garments are clean. See, the scripture says that Jesus would come back one day when he was there on that mount and he was with the disciples that looked up and saw his departure. He departed from his human flesh and it was transitioned to spirit being. And he ascended up on high. That's what the scripture teaches. Because he met with them for 40 days and 40 nights. And he said beforehand, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? Meaning he had resurrected his flesh body. But when he went from that state of humanity, he transitioned to a spiritual place like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he ascended up on high. And the angels looked at them and said, why do you look so sad? That same Jesus whom you saw leave will come back again in like manner that means in his flesh in his body embodiment but the lord there's a coming of the lord one day i believe that but then jesus also said hey before that time i'm going to come back and receive you to myself that where i am you can be also that was referring to a marriage a unity an experience for now not for later that's why when you read that's why during this semester if you just hold on tight, we're going to explain all of this in proper context. You can't just take one theological idea based on one scripture. You have to put the scriptures all together and hear what the word, the counsel of God is. To know the true counsel of God takes every word of God comprised together. And what Jesus was trying to tell his church, his future church was, is that you're going to be my bride. 
And I'm going to make sure that you have what it takes to be my bride, to walk as my bride. And one day, we're, we're, you're with, now we are one together. Jesus in one place even said to the audience at one time, said, I'm right now with my father as I'm in heaven. I'm with him now. They didn't understand that concept. What he was saying was he had the same spirit. He, the spirit of the father was in him. He was connected. And what he's trying to tell us in John, the 14th chapter, the 15th chapter, he said, behold, I am with you now, but behold, I shall be in you. So Jesus sent his spirit already to dwell within us. But there's going to come a day that we leave this earth, whatever that time frame may be, whether we die before that day ever comes, no man knows the hour or the day, but he'll show up again in the likeness of how he left and physical form. But beforehand, he promised, he promised something for now to get us through this world. You're not alone. And you're not without the ability to live for God. When you receive the Spirit of God in your life, the Spirit baptism, it is straight to your inner being where God overflows with His nature and His likeness. To be like Him, you see, He breathed into Adam and Adam became a living being. But when Adam became a living being, a living soul, the scripture says that they were naked, that they had an innocence about them, that they were void of sin. And because they had no sin in their life, they had their humanity that was encapsulating their purity. And when sin entered in, they lost their innocence. What I'm trying to tell you right now is that God can restore your innocence at any level, no matter how far you've gone. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, God's blood can make you whiter than snow and you can belong to him. And your innocence will return back to you. And you can become like a child again in faith and believe that God is so good. I feel the presence of God coming into the room right now. If you're watching right now and you feel like all hope is lost, and you feel like, okay, this religious thing is just so mundane it's so, you know, it's so routine. I'm here to tell you that it's more than that. God made it to be more than that. He made it to be an intimate relationship with him. He made it to be exciting. He made it to be emotional. Yeah, he wanted you to feel the emotions of the spirit. Will you stand to your feet here this Sunday morning? And if you desire him, if you want him, if you know that he came to get a bride and that he chose you, will you just lift your voice and tell him, Lord, I know you love me, I love you back, but I want to experience you, God, like never before. And I know now what you were talking about, you weren't talking about just coming again, God, in a fashion for the future. You were actually talking about a marriage. You were talking about marrying us, dear God. You were talking about preparing a bride. You were speaking of things, God, that even in our carnal mind, we couldn't understand, but you came to a culture that could understand the verbiage and now we understand, dear God, by study that we are somebody in the eyes of a living God. We're not just saved, we're your bride. And we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And we belong to you. In Jesus, we love you. Will you lift up your voice and worship Him right now? Come on. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.